And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. As always, joined by Matt Fortuna in Chicago, and today's special guest, Antonio Morales, our USC beat reporter for The Athletic, um, said a much different uh, style of story to write about USC than I have it about Notre Dame, but, you know, frankly, it's kind of, that's been the standard for USC over the last few years, and I guess, Antonio, this year is certainly more intense with Clay Helton being fired mid-season, but, like, what... What do you make of sort of like the state of USC football right now? I think the, the last time we saw each other, I think, was uh, Lynn Swan may have been putting out a statement the day after uh, Notre Dame won at USC comparing where Clay Helton could go to Brian Kelly's sort of turnaround after 2016. But like, where, what is sort of the, the state of affairs with USC football at the moment? I think that everything that's gone wrong has started to kind of rear its ugly head now and I think the bills kind of come come due for everything that's gone wrong under the, over the past few years whether it's uh, kind of the neglect from the previous administration in terms of support staff or um, the kind of complacency of the previous coaching staff recruiting wise and and some of just Clay Helton's poor hires um, over the past few years um, you talked about the how they use kind of Notre Dame as the model for how they're going to change things after a losing season in 2018. That year, Brian Kelly kind of changed everything. And then Clay only changed like half of his staff that year. It was kind of a half-assed attempt at like really pursuing that model. And uh, so you see all that stuff and the lack of development and kind of the lack of accountability in the program. You see that stuff all kind of rear its ugly head now. It's funny, like, I almost forgot about that Lynn Swan statement. Like, no one thought he'd keep Clay Heldon, and then he keeps Clay Heldon and cites, like, Notre Dame as an example for how to do it, which is crazy if you're a USC fan. And then Clay Heldon gets fired this year, and you have a story out that week kind of, like, putting his era in perspective. And I remember reading that and thinking, you know what, this actually does read a lot like Brian Kelly 2016 with some of his hires, with so a defense coordinator who was a friend of his who, who wasn't – doing his job all that well. Obviously, Brian Kelly had the track record and, and the wherewithal to get out of that, and Clay Heldon didn't. But the, the similarities between those programs um, in that regard were, were pretty fascinating to me. This will be the fifth different USC head coach Brian Kelly has faced <laughs> since he's been at, at Notre Dame. Um, Antonio, I know it's early in the season. Uh, USC might not even be the biggest open job right now a, a, after LSU's uh, news this week, but is there any intel, any breadcrumbs, going around L.A. right now in regards to what direction this may be going with USC's head coaching search? Not really, not yet. This administration's kept a lot of stuff quiet over the past few uh, – ever since they've really gotten here, I think 
they kept the Clay Helton firing very, very quiet. They, they announced it themselves, which is pretty hard to do. And uh, they, they've kept other stuff in the past, like JT Daniels entering the transfer portal. They kept that quiet as well. Um, so they're not saying much right now. I think the only two people that really know are Brandon Sosna, the associate AD, and, and Mike Bone, the athletic director. Uh, I think those two in the past at, at Cincinnati, I believe they handled pretty much their own searches. I think that's the approach they're using this time. I don't think they're going to use a search firm. So those are the two that really only know, and they're not really saying anything to anybody right now. What what impact, if any, do you think firing Helton midseason has had on like this team this year? And I ask that like, what's with the Helton change? Like, how is that applicable to Saturday night against Notre Dame? I think the administration might have thought like hey, we have a better chance without Clay and with Dante Williams and stuff. But I think if you've seen the last two home losses, you have to kind of question or wonder about the players' engagement right now and how locked in they are just because as soon as they get down by like a score or two, everything just snowballs into these 20-point deficits against Oregon State and Utah, which weren't doing that great by the time, the time they were playing USC. So you have to kind of question the motivation levels of, of the players and the staff at this point. This is a staff that for you know, almost everybody except Dante's, Dante Williams is probably going to be gone next year. So you kind of had, at the time, I think there was more worry about oh, would the staff stay locked in, would they stay motivated? And not so much about the players, but I think you have to worry about both now and just the way USC's lost these past couple of games. Is there any sense in that same vein, and I'm not surprised to hear you say what you said, but Clay Helton has essentially been on the hot seat since he got the job. I mean, he won a Rose Bowl. He won a Pac-12 title. Still, it was like, but, but, but. Is there any sense of, not necessarily relief, but like, all right, the Band-Aid's off now. We can move forward. Maybe not with this current roster, but with the program as a whole, and particularly as it relates to recruiting. I mean, there are going to be questions about who the next head coach is, but there's no longer a question of, am I committing to a guy who's not going to be there? Yeah, and I think that'll help. I think the, the program itself needed that just because there were there was just a constant thing that was hanging hanging over the program for th- for three years, um, and just was the main thing. And no matter what Clay Helton was going to do, it was always going to hover around. And uh, they went to the Pac-12 title game last year, and it was still there. And honestly, when they lost that, that's when it kind of kickstarted again. So. I, I think it's good for the program to kind of finally move forward. And uh, it's probably good for Clay, too, just in terms of that wasn't going to be healthy um, for anyone, uh, just the constant chatter and all that stuff. What about USC this year? This is still a roster that's probably more talented than, what, like 90% of teams in college football. Um, and, like, maybe that's up for dispute now. Like, reading some of your stuff about who USC has recruited, obviously they had a disastrous recruiting class a couple of years ago, but – I guess where where is this team good? I mean, do, does this team have anything that it can rely on, or is it just sort of like a grab bag on a weekly basis? It's kind of a grab bag on a weekly basis, <laughs> to be honest with you. Drake, Drake London is really good, yeah, but the receiver recruiting has kind of dipped in a couple of years, and that's obviously been USC strength. Like T. Martin, like stocked that recruiting room for years, and so you had guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and Michael Pittman and Tyler Bonds and and a Drake London who was the fourth receiver the last time USC went to Notre Dame in 2019. Uh, now it's Drake London and it's a bunch of unproven guys. 
And the offensive line recruiting slipped for almost a decade now. And I think they've played a little better than people thought, but it's still not a great group. Uh, the quarterbacks are still good. Uh, Keaton Slovis, the offense is flawed, but I, I don't think he's the main problem. Um, he's good. And Jackson Darts obviously has, has a lot of a poten- uh, potential. Uh, the running backs have been okay. They've been solid this year. Keontae Ingram, the Texas transfer, um, has been good. That, that's a guy they didn't originally develop within that program. It's a guy they got from Texas. And Darwin Barlow's like the second running, the second best running back on the team. And that's a TCU transfer. So that, it's, it's not like guys have developed at their own programs. And the defensive line's been a big concern, just a lack of size up front, a lack of athleticism. Uh, they just don't have the bodies up there, maybe except for Tuli Tui Pelotu and Drake, Jan- Drake Jackson, who's been inconsistent this year, and the linebackers don't make plays, and the the, cor- the, the secondary has been vulnerable to the big play. Um, so it's, it's just all the flaws and all the warts that have shown in recruiting the past couple of years are all manifesting themselves on the field now. Tony, what's Dante Williams like? I mean, I, I don't think he's going to get this job unless you're hearing something different there than, than what's going on nationally. But what's he like? Uh, you know, he's only been there two years. He gets promoted interim. We all know he's a great recruiter and was a great recruiter when he was at Oregon. How has he kind of put his stamp on this program, uh, for lack of a better term? I think the main thing he's trying to attack is accountability. And I know he's done stuff like no hoodies in the team meeting room, no hats and, and stuff like that, or, or putting a stanchion around the logo so you don't step on that in, in, in the locker room. That's uh, going to take a long time to fix. It's going to take a, uh, maybe a year or two to fix, uh, just the way, with the way things have gone. Uh, but I think it's, it's baby steps. And I think you still see it on the field with the penalties and things like that. I think, in Clay's last game, they committed like 11 penalties for 110 yards or something. And I think the next week it got a little better under Dante. And then it started to creep back up again. They started to get like nine penalties or eight penalties. Um, so you still see that stuff. That stuff's going to be hard to fix. But I think he's kind of t- he's tried to take a more disciplinarian role uh, in this in this job. Uh, I, I think it'll work to a certain extent, but there's only so much you could do as an interim coach. Um, uh, but you can still see he's more of a he's more he's trying to hold these guys accountable more. And uh, I remember at practice like two weeks ago, um, he thought they were flat, um, and so he like stopped them after warmups and he's like you're flat as expletive, and um, and told them like right at practice. And uh, yeah, so it's just stuff you didn't kind of see under Clay. But then you know that week they he told them they were flat. They got their butts kicked by Utah by 16 points. So um, it, I think he's noticed some of the things, but it, it's really hard to, to kind of fix all that right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I, I guess in the the big picture of UC football, like does this game matter a whole lot then? Like it, it seems like they have they have so much to get right. Like starting with mm-hmm. who the heck their next head coach is, um, you know, quarterback Dart Slovis. You know, the defense has problems. You mentioned the penalties, the lack of discipline. Like does does Saturday sort of fit into any kind of narrative with USC at all, or is this just is this season just kind of a bit lost at this point? I think it's a bit lost at this point. There's six games left and they're three and three. And this is the first game they're an underdog. <laughs> so like they've, they've lost three games by double digits and they're favorite in all those games. And they have, those are all three conference losses and Utah's in first place in the Pac-12 South right now. And they have the tiebreaker over USC since they beat them. So USC basically needs Utah to lose four conference games, which I don't see happening. <laughs> and so there's not a ton to play for. Uh, and I think the way the way this team has responded to in-game adversity doesn't doesn't make me think you know they're going to be super motivated throughout the rest of the season. Um, but we'll see on Saturday, and we'll see if they can stay motivated because motivated because it's a rivalry game. Um, they played better on the road, and uh, for some reason, like I don't know why they don't respond well in the Coliseum, but they played better on the road, and. Um, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how they respond because I think a lot of people are questioning how locked in they'll be. Um, so yeah, this, they had the bye week. Um, now it's Notre Dame, a big rivalry game, um, and we'll see if they kind of if the program has has more pride than they've shown in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, as as soon as you started talking about that, I thought to ten years ago when USC was bowl ineligible on probation. And they come in and just completely destroy Notre Dame under the lights. And Lane Kiffin is just trolling them endlessly about how he beat them in their Super Bowl and yada, yada, yada. I, I don't think Dante Williams has got that in him um, from, from a speaking standpoint. I don't think anyone has that in them from a speaking standpoint. But um, you, you literally throw out the record books, whatever rivals take the field together. Um, what, what, I mean, what have you seen? I know it's, it's, it goes beyond explanation, but this team is – it's a different team on the road than they are at home. I, I Pete's tweeted out the stat. I mean, I think they're tied with Notre Dame for the longest road winning streak um, in the country right now. Uh, what could you possibly attribute that to? The Stanford game, the, the, the atmosphere at the Coliseum is pretty toxic. <laughs> and and, uh, and the, the play Helton was getting booed at halftime when he's doing the interview with the Jumbotron. And then you have... Uh, you have the players getting booed, go heading into the tunnel at half. Uh, Keaton Slovis got booed after like a bad pass uh, in the third quarter of that game. And and then the seats kind of empty out by the third quarter uh, when they fall behind by like two or three scores. And uh, the boos haven't been as prominent, but like the seats emptying out and stuff and just like a lack of energy just because the, the fan base isn't totally engaged with the games right now as opposed to you know, they're focused on the coaching search and who's going to be the next guy to lead this. So, the um, yeah, like, and the team hasn't given them anything to be engaged about either um, at, at these home games. Uh, so, 
I think USC's that hasn't helped USC at home and um, and they've gotten down on themselves. And then I think on the road, it's kind of more us against the world. And um, I think that's been an approach that's kind of helped them better on the road because they were down 14 to nothing to Washington state and they came back and won when they're down by 14 at home, they just go into a shell and like, it was just a weird, that's the only time this season they've responded well to a, a deficit or any sort of on-field trouble. And uh, it's just, it's just hard to explain how, how they do it on the road, but they can't do it at home. What about like, I wanted to get more into Drake London because during Brian Kelly's tele or press conference on Monday, um, you know, we talked a little bit about Notre Dame's plan against Michael Pittman two years ago, and you know, essentially Notre Dame invented a defense just for him. Um, mm-hmm. But then Kelly was also talked about David Bell at Purdue uh, in terms of you know the damage done after the catch, whereas Michael Pittman was more of a deep shot player. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I even thought it was interesting that Brian Kelly compared. Um, Drake London to George Karloftis, who's a, obviously a defensive end, right? But just in terms of how you need to have a plan for him at all all times, otherwise he's just going to destroy you. So, like, what kind of player is London? Like, who does he remind you of? Whether it's somebody at USC or somebody that you've covered, and like, how does or how does USC try to use them? Not and not many teams have been had any success taking him away. Not that nobody's had, but it's been rare. Yeah, he, he gets a lot of comparisons like Mike Evans sort of but I don't think he's that fast like I, I think my, you saw Mike Williams kind of break Mike Evans I mean break away from break away from guys at Texas A&M and things like that you don't see Drake get like a ton of, of yak yardage he's more of a I'm just gonna he's gonna use his basketball skills to you know dominate you and contest the catch situations and, and come down with the ball and he's, he has that 6-4 frame and and the, the great body control and you know that that helps him so much going against DBs and and things like that so I, the Mike Evans comparisons come up a lot I know that the guys who played at Tech Graham Harrell and Seth Dagey they they bring up Crabtree a lot um, but you know he's just a really tough player like you'll see it this weekend like whenever he catches the ball the, the first guy rarely tackles him it's usually a, a group effort to kind of bring him down and um as, you know, he's putting up and he's had an amazing season um, this year. And I, I wonder kind of if teams will kind of just be like, okay, Drake London, get yours. Like we know the rest of the guys on this, on this USC team aren't going to beat you. Um, so like, um, you know, he's, he's mainly, he's gotten like so many more targets compared to everybody else. Uh, I think he's got 64 receptions. I think the next player on USC's team is like 22 and like, those guys haven't made consistent plays outside of him. And and you wondered at some point if a defense was going to be like, okay, let's just take Drake London away and let everybody else do something. But we haven't seen like anything too aggressive yet um, against him. And obviously Notre Dame did that in the past with Michael Pittman. So you're wondering if, if they're going to be the first team that really kind of tries to do that um, against him this season. I feel like, Throughout the first half of Notre Dame season, you know, Pete and I, whether it's with, amongst ourselves or with the guests covering the opposing team, um, we've gone through the stats, the matchups, and, you know, we've had kind of a hard time basically scheming up a Notre Dame win. Like, they're, they're not good at running the ball. They're not good at protecting the quarterback. You don't know who's going to play quarterback every week, but they find a way to do it more often than not. i got to be honest with you. This week, it's kind of the complete opposite. Um, 
<laughs> USC 125th in tackles for loss, 102nd in sacks, 160 yards for play. Not saying Notre Dame's going to go out there and run for 200 yards on Saturday night, but I'm a lot less worried about their ability to run the football in this game than I was in any other game so far this season. I mean, what, what's a path for USC to win this game, Antonio? I think the pass offense would have to go kind of crazy. They're, the running game is better this year. Uh, so I think there's more balance there, uh, which helps. I think. I think they ran the ball well the last time they played Notre Dame. Marquis Stepp had a pretty good game uh, two years ago when they played. Um, Keontae Ingram, I think he's better than Marquis Stepp. And he's had a pretty good season. He's already rushed like 480 yards or something. Um, so I, I think some balance and maybe trying to keep the defense off the field as much as they can in an air raid um, would probably benefit USC more. Um, but it, it's gonna it's just going to be hard. The, the, the defensive line has been good at times against the run, and other times it's just been completely lost. Um, so it, it's just hard to see USC winning with the way their defense has been playing. The linebackers have just been getting exposed. And um, when, when the teams start to run the ball, the, the secondary – gets exploited too because they're in more man-to-man situations and things like that. So I, I think USC would need to win a shootout with the passing game going kind of crazy uh, for them to win. It Yeah, I guess where are they at quarterback right now between Slovis and Dart? I mean, both have played. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. Dart, in some ways, I feel like the way Dart is described now reminds me of how Slovis was described three years ago. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was just sort of like the next guy because we've seen the the previous guy has some mm-hmm. some faults in his game. Like, what? How has that played out, and sort of how? Where are they right now in terms of how the that position will be run the rest of the Slo- season? Yeah. I, I think Slovis has kind of come on pretty well. He's not he's not been perfect, but he's not been. I don't think he's been bad enough. To, to bench. Uh, I think he's been, I think the coaching staff's kind of been more supportive of him vocally, Dante and, and, and Graham Harrell. And so I, I don't expect him to get benched, you know, unless he plays bad and then they give Dart the role. Um, but I'm sure he'll be the starting quarterback heading to South Bend. And uh, you know, Dart, Dart can just, this is a flawed offense. I think Dart. Dart brings them closer to solutions. This offensive line's not great. I mean, he's a mobile, he's a mobile quarterback who, who can make throws on the run, has a really strong arm, and has a ton of confidence. Uh, sometimes that can lead to, to recklessness, with interceptions, and things like that that we saw at Washington State and, and fumbles. Uh, but a lot, a lot of times, it makes it leads to big plays, and I, I think there's just more explosiveness within the offense with Dart. And um, but I, I think. Obviously, he tore his meniscus that week against Washington State, and that kind of ended the the mini QB controversy that USC had uh, for a few days. Um, but he's starting to practice more, and he did a little bit more at practice last week during the bye week. It'll be interesting to monitor to see how much he can do this week. Uh, if he is healthy, I think we'll see like a few packages with him, short yardage stuff where he's running or. Um, you know, a couple package plays to where he can just get on the field. That was the plan for him at Washington State. So they were planning to to bring him into the game plan a little bit more. But then, uh, obviously, Silvis got hurt, so he had to be in there the whole game. Um, but there, there's a lot of potential there. And I, I think the future is bright at USC with him at quarterback. 
I feel like we do this song and dance every every single USC quarterback regime is like, oh, Sam Darnold's on now going to save the day for Max Brown. Now Keenan Slovis is going to save the day. Now Jackson Dark. So it's funny how history history has repeated itself. Tony, you did a coaching search survey among USC readers. Um, Brian Kelly was in a uh, seven way tie for 16th place with three votes, one less than Deion Sanders, <laughs> among who USC fans would like to see. But the overwhelming favorite, unsurprisingly, was Penn State coach James Franklin. Um, I don't know whether he's a guy or not, but that's certainly the one that gets talked about the most. My question is, and I don't want to put you in a tough spot and predict it, but like, what do you, if Franklin says no, or if they don't offer James Franklin a job, where do you see them turning to? And look, it's USC. They're going to have no shortage of good options, but that's like the big guy. Yeah, I think obviously Luke Fickle will come up a lot just because his connections to Mike Bone and Cincinnati. I think he should approach Matt Campbell and see how things go. I, I know the shine will probably come off of Matt Campbell a bit with the season that Iowa State's having, but I mean, it's Iowa State. That probably says more about that program than than, than Matt Campbell itself. I, I think someone like him could do really, really well at USC in terms of you know getting the most and maximizing the talent you have at hand. And USC needs somebody like that just because they haven't, been developing their talent well over the past five or six years or so. Um, so I think somebody like him would do really well. And I'm, I'm kind of torn when thinking about like the ideal candidates for them to go after because recruiting wasn't necessarily the problem under Clay Helton. It was development. So do you want the dynamic recruiter or the, the master developer, which, which would kind of serve better? At, uh, I've been kind of, I, I think I've kind of, um, warmed up more to the idea of James Franklin being the best guy for the job, but um, uh, I think there's plenty of good options out there for them in terms of people they could pursue and and things like but that. By the way, se- second feel- on that list was Urban Meyer, which was actually published after <laughs> the bar incident in Ohio, which maybe that's that, that time tracks because people thought he'd be more likely to be available. I can never see that yeah. happening. Antonio, am I wrong? Me neither. Okay. No, no, not me neither. <laughs> I was gonna say that this would, would be USC's only victory about Notre Dame is if they would hire James Franklin, and then Luke Fickle went to Penn State, and then Marcus Freeman went to Cincinnati. Like that—that's how USC would beat Notre Dame this year. That, yeah. Um, what? What? Uh, I, I was interested in that recruiting dynamic because Matt and I have talked a ton about like recruiting. Brian Kelly is Notre Dame doing enough of it? Are they doing it well enough? Um, and I always get the sense like USC is one of, of, there are not many of these, but USC is one of them that almost recruits itself, which mm-hmm. like maybe is not true with Bryce Young at Alabama and DJ Uyunglele yeah. at Clemson now. But like this, I mean, does USC really need like a whiz bang recruiter to be great? Um, or do you sort of see like that development, like give me the development first and the recruiting will probably take care of itself? If you look back, if you look back at Clay Helton's like first three classes, they're all in the top ten. So like, I, I think the reason why it hasn't recruited itself the past couple of years is because Clay's been everybody's been waiting for Clay to get the axe right. for basically like three years. So I think, I think once they have a new head coach in there who has some stability, I think it goes back to hey, it's fine to come here again, uh, especially if they get a, a proven name. Um, so part of me thinks you don't need a huge personality, but if you develop well. Then you're going to be fine. And then say somebody like Matt Campbell comes, and then 
you win some games and you develop the guys you have and then you win some more, the recruiting is going to take care of itself. Um, and he's not going to need to have the, the biggest personality to, to get guys to stay home. Uh, like I said, Clay Elton had those top 10 classes and he was winning the Rose Bowl. And um, so he's bringing top five classes in. Um, so part of me thinks development and that stuff might be more important development and scheme uh, than like a big personality needed to recruit. But Southern California is basically open game for everybody right now. So um, I can see why people would say we need a like USC, like we need a dynamic recruiter here. Um, but I think, I think it's, I could see either side of the argument and I think USC should do well either way. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When Mike Bone announced he was uh, firing Clay Heldon, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, he said something to the effect of like, we've given this program more resources than they've ever had or than Clay Heldon's ever had. And with that become mm-hmm. comes enhanced expectations. We've heard a lot about it, but you're on the ground there. I mean, look, very low bar to clear for this regime from an administrative standpoint. That being said, what have they done since they got there, which wasn't even two full years ago now. And one of those years was during the pandemic. What have they done? Uh, to to actually support the football program. Yeah, they finally added like an nutritionist. I think this past year, and um, they they doubled the size of the recruiting staff, and they they gave Clay just more more freedom to to hire better people. I think um, you know when he hired a, a strength coach a couple of years ago, he hired them. The guy was basically selling like exercise equipment from his house in, in, in Redondo beach. And now they hired a guy from Notre Dame. Right. Steiner. And so, um, you know, he just gotten, he had more support to make hires and kind of implement the stuff they need to be a more modern, um, college football program. And we saw the more on the social media side and the graphics and, and things like that. They hired 
Oregon's graphic designer and they hired guys from LSU who, who left already, but you know, guys from Cal and, and, and elsewhere um, to kind of catch up, catch up and be more modern. I, I think somebody put it well to me when I was writing about Clay um, after he was fired and um, they're like, Clay has been at USC since 2010 and he took over in, in 2015 and college football changed a lot then, but he was only exposed to what was going on at USC. So he didn't know like what was, what was going on and how these support staffs were kind of booming across the country. Um, and, and USC wasn't going out of its way to kind of, you know, build up its own support staff. Uh, so he didn't get to see any of that was going on at Alabama and, and schools like that. And um, they, so they just said he didn't know what he didn't know. And he didn't know what to ask for. And then this new administration came in and they sat down with Clay and some of the other support staffers who had been at other programs. And they're like, hey, this is what we need. And since then, USC has kind of beefed up everything. Um, I think there's I think they feel good about where it's at right now. But um, it was it was a long time where they went with with kind of bare bones um, support staff. All right. So spin it forward to Saturday night. Like we talked about USC's path to actually winning the game, which is feels incredibly narrow. Um, <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you see Saturday playing out? Like give us your sort of thoughts on, you know, what we will actually witness. I, I think, I think USC could keep it close for about a half or so. I, I think the defense will have some issues. Um, I think Notre Dame will be able to exploit some of those. And I, I remember a couple of years ago, USC had trouble con- containing the edge. And then Notre, I think Notre Dame scored like on a jet sweep or a flight sweep, um, a big like 50 yard run, which had been, an issue for USC and that issue is starting to kind of pop up again. Um, so I wonder if we'll see some of those where they're attacking USC on the edges and attacking the interior of USC's defensive line where they're, they're kind of thin. Um, so I, I think we'll, we'll see Notre Dame go there and, um, and then try to exploit whatever weaknesses in the secondary um, once they get the run game going um, with play action and stuff. Um, then I don't see, I don't see USC's, offense being able to to keep up enough um that's why i think it'll be close for half because usc's offense has been good for halves the first half of games in the third quarter it'll it'll just like not score and i think that's been a big problem like uh, under graham harrell the past couple of years the third quarter they just don't score touchdowns and um that's when these games kind of get away from them and so i think i think it'll be another game where notre dame kind of pulls away in the second half and Maybe the USC offense will score like a garbage garbage time touchdown late or something to make the score um, look better than what it was. Pete, you're first. I yeah, I I sort of see the game the way Antonio sees it. Like unless USC hits some big shots, which they could. I mean, I do think that Notre Dame's secondary has bet it has played better than its talent um, for a lot of the season. Um, obviously, Kyle Hamilton is an elite All-American type safety, but you know Cam Hart has played up, struggled a little bit at Virginia Tech. Clarence Lewis, I think, has had an up and down with a bunch of down as the other corner, and then sort of the Houston Griffith-DJ Brown combination opposite Hamilton is if you're smart enough to scheme a way to isolate them, you can have some success. Uh, but it just doesn't feel like if USC had Amon Ross St. Brown to go with Drake 
London, then I would I would feel like USC has more than a puncher's chance, but they just it just they just don't. Um, so I was like Notre Dame thirty eight, USC thirty one, and I I agree with Antonio too. Just like I could see this game being thirty eight twenty four for most of the fourth quarter, and then maybe USC scores in the final couple minutes to to make it more respectable. But I just USC just doesn't have enough path to victory, and I think Notre Dame maybe figured some things out against Virginia Tech, at least who they are on the offensive line, how they're going to rotate quarterbacks, that uh, the grab bag that USC is living through, I think Notre Dame is going to be grab bagging a little bit less the rest of the season. I see it similar. I do think it's going to be 42 degrees by nighttime in South Bend. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring. I mean, right now the uh, spread's Notre Dame 7, over under 57 and a half. Um, I got Notre Dame 27-20, but I think it's going to be a similar game where it's like 27-13 or 27-17 for a while, and there's a, a late backdoor push, uh, if you will. Like I, I, I feel like we're talking ourselves into a corner here where it's like, oh, USC's going to come out and play their best game of the year. Notre Dame's O-line's going to go back to what it was against Florida State, and like, here we go again. You know, it, it, the, the rivalry's been reversed again, but no, I just I can't pick USC in this one, uh, seeing what we've seen for both teams so far. Uh, I'll go 27-20 Notre Dame. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the Shamrock. Antonio, thanks for joining us. And I think we will have a rare triple athletic credential press box on Saturday. Oh, wow. uh, with With Fortune, I believe that you will be making the drive down uh, from Chicago. Am I giving you, you a ride, Antonio? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a rental car. It'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Well, I'll see both of you guys on Saturday uh, for Notre Dame USC. It will be an intriguing one. I don't know how great of a game it will be, but it will be interesting nonetheless. So until then, he's Antonio Morales in L.A., Matt Fortune in Chicago, and Pete Sampson in South Bend. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock.